I, uh, what I wanted to do is we, I, I'm really excited. We've, we've got five, six different missionaries that are coming through between their husbands and their wives over the next couple of weeks. And, and let me just encourage you to sign up for those different things. Ladies, I know you're going to love uh, Carla Ellis. Uh, they are missionaries to India. Uh, very, very dear friends of mine. They're doing a great work in India. Uh, we've got the Edsons coming from uh, Romania. They were they helped to set up an orphanage there. If you remember them, they came a couple years ago, and that was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've got some other missionaries that are looking to raise support to get out on the field. One is going to China. And uh, I would really just encourage you just to come and, uh, and let your heart be open to what God is doing around the world. I know for me, it's so easy just to get enveloped in my own little world our own little corner here in Ontario, you know, and, and the world is so large and so big and God is doing such a, a great work and I believe you'll just be blessed. So, so sign up for these different um, things that we have coming up. Check out your bulletins and check out the website with all the information of what's going on and, and I know that you'll be uh, blessed about that. Yeah, and Tuesday, we have Tuesday night prayer and, and uh, for the next couple of Tuesday nights, we're just going to be praying for our uh, missionaries and uh, specifically by name, all the different 60-plus missions and missionaries that we, that we uh, support. And uh, I really just have, a, have just a need and a calling to really pray for them uh, by name. Many are in countries that we can't even mention on our website because of the danger that they are from the hostility towards Christianity. And, and those are things that we're just foreign to living here in the States. So um, they, I know they just covet um, your prayers and that God would just help them and bless them as they've laid their lives down for the gospel's sake. And so what I want to do is I want to just to kind of lay a foundation for the next couple of weeks about what, what exactly is missions. I know many of you have different ideas of missions. Some of you grew up maybe in the church. You, you cut your teeth on the pew in front of you. Your mom changed your diaper in the pew. And you're used to hearing missionaries and, and the different stories of what God has done. And, and uh, some of you may not know what missions is, is all about. And I, I kind of wanted to lay a foundation for what really missions is. And, and, and why is this God's heartbeat? Why is the world, why is the gospel message being presented around the world God's heartbeat. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the foundation of every church has to be missions. This, this is the foundation of our church. This is the DNA of living word. It's, it's missions, not only missions of like caring for people with a meal, like we saw today, but also caring for people that you don't even know. That, that you may never even see in your lifetime. And that's being able to send someone who has a calling to go to another country to touch the lives there for Jesus Christ. And, and what I want to do is I just want your heart just to be expanded just a little bit. Because in America, listen, I'm with you. It, we are so, let me just be honest with you this morning. We are very self-centered. In America, we think the world revolves around us. And when you go overseas, that sometimes is the perception of Americans, that everything revolves around us. And, and when you go overseas, and I've been on 20 plus overseas missions trips, and when you go overseas and you begin to see what God is doing and the hearts and lives of people of a totally different culture, totally different language, and how God has touched them, it, it can't do anything but break your heart to see that God is a big God. And he's touching lives. And, and when you run into people that are making $8 a day as a day laborer, and they're worshiping the Lord and thanking God for everything in their lives, it just causes you to reflect in your own life and say, what is really important to me? Are all these material things really, really important? Is that what God really cares about? And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a house and a car and so on and so forth. We are blessed. If you have indoor plumbing, you're blessed. If you came and you drove to church in a car today, you're, you're amongst very few in the world that has that ability to do that. When you go overseas and, and you begin to go to church, most people walk to church. I remember being at one service in El Salvador where they had an all-night prayer meeting. People came from mile, hundreds of miles away by bus to come to that service to pray all night. They brought food with them. They brought a little mat to sleep on and they packed the church out. Some of us here, we don't go to church because we see three inches of snow in our driveway. And we're like, eh, we'll sleep in today. 
I'm just saying, something to pray about, okay? I, I'm just saying, they, they, that's important to them because they come with God's people. They, they see their, their, their life with Christ as something just so valuable. They don't see it as an inconvenience. They don't allow the inconvenience of their lives to dictate who Christ is in their lives. Amen? That was good right there. I don't come up with a lot of those. You better amen me on those ones, okay? So what I want to do is I want to just lay a foundation for us because I believe if we don't get this, missions is nothing because you can throw a lot of mo- money at missions, but if our heart is not in the right place, something is amiss, something is awry, and God wants to grab your heart more than anything else. And if your heart is in the right place, then it will lead in the way you give, and you'll give with the right motives and you'll pray with the right motives not out of guilt i'm not here to guilt you this morning and to give more money to missions or to do more because guilt only lasts so long can someone say amen it may last for this two weeks but but a month from now you'll forget forget about it and i don't want that to happen i want this to be central in your life that's why as a church we go on missions trips that's why we support missionaries that this is this is vital this is this is foundational for our church and i believe a church that's foundation is missions is a church that god is blessing and and i want god to bless our church because i believe if we have the heart of god god's blessings will come into our lives and there's so many rich spiritual blessings that god wants to pour out on our lives if we just grab a hold of what he desires and what i want to do today is i want to take the most probably familiar passage in all of the new testament that's john three sixteen, and i want to break that down for you and then piggyback that uh, verse to a, another chapter in john of of how this verse played out in the life of christ and and i hope this grabs your heart today that there's a passage real quick in matthew chapter 9 where jesus looks over the city of jerusalem and the the bible says that that he had compassion over the city because he saw that people were harassed they were they were people that were in need of a of a of a shepherd and jesus had compassion for people and then he he looks and he says to his disciples listen pray for the lord of the harvest to send out workers into the fields because the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It's white for harvest. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, there are people all around you that are ripe and ready to hear the gospel message. But the problem, he said, is the workers are few. We hear the gospel message. We know what we're to do with it, yet sometimes it just stops with us. And Jesus says, listen, the workers are few, but pray for the Lord of the harvest to go out. But it's interesting that before he said that, the scriptures tell us that Jesus had compassion over the people. He knew that they were harassed and they were they, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't know. They didn't know what the truth was. And he says, listen, you have the truth. And pray that the Lord would send out more people to share the truth with those that are helpless and looking for the truth. And so this compassion so gripped God's heart. This compassion so gripped Jesus' heart that he went into our world to share the wonderful message of God's love. The problem we have today is we're, we're very mixed up on what compassion means and what love means and and i know it's hard for us to define what love is in our world today and and if i'm real honest if we're real honest with ourselves uh this morning uh we've done a real bad job at defining what love is and for the most part in our world today if we were to define love love is really based on conditions Meaning I'll love you if my love is based on what you can do for me. We place conditions on our love. My love is only valid unless you do something for me. And the biggest mistake we will ever come, the biggest mistake we'll ever do when it comes to defining love or compassion is that we'll have to base it on a feeling. I'm only going to do this unless I, I feel a certain way. 
And, and if we base it on, I, I know this is love by the, the tingling feeling I get in my big toe. Okay, that's love. Or, you know, I, I know we, we base it on all these ooey-gooey feelings and, and, and we base love on, on how I feel. We see somebody across a crowded room and we get, oh, that person, I just saw that person and I knew that I was in love and, and, and that person could be an ax murder for all you know. You don't know, but you base it on this feelings of, oh, I really like this person. I want you to see something this morning that, that Jesus wasn't, the, the compassion that he had wasn't ultimately led by some feeling of whether or not he wanted to do it. Jesus did it by choice. He chose to love you when you were unlovable. He, he chose to have grace and compassion on you when you didn't deserve grace or compassion. So people, listen, if you're waiting for me to, to, to warm your heart and to show a bunch of videos of, of a bunch of kids that need food to, to, to just make you feel this compassion, if it's a feeling, then guess what? It's going to come for one moment, and then about a week later, you're going to go right back into your same patterns of life. Can I get an amen? Because that's true, isn't it? We're like that. I want you to be so gripped by God's compassion that it's not going to be based on your feelings, but it's going to be based on a choice for what Christ has done for you. I choose to do this because God's commanded me to do it, to go love people when they are unlovable. And so what we end up doing is we, we base love. Love usually equals romance, right? And, and, and we're so immersed with it. Like for those of you that like romantic films... Basically, here's what a romantic film involves. I'll give you the plot of every single romantic film. Are you ready? Here it is. I've just, I don't care what it is. Here it is. Ready? The movie. Girl finds a guy or guy finds a girl. There's a misunderstanding and they spend the rest of the movie trying to get together. They're hoping and then they get together at the end of the movie and everything's wonderful. Isn't that it? Right? Can I get an amen? Is that right? Okay, so th that's the whole premise of the movie, or if you've read the book, Pride and Prejudice. How many of you have ever seen the movie Pride and Prejudice? Women, how many of you? Do you guys, what do you do, okay? Uh, my wife loves that movie. Any men have ever seen the movie Pride and Prejudice? Anyone? Thanks, Joe. Good. <laughs> Jim. You got, yeah, he had to. Woo! I admit I've seen it too, and I know some of you men are sitting out there, and I'm not raising my hand, but I have seen it too. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, sorry about that. Um, listen, how many of you know that your feelings will change, your emotions will change? And how many of you ever made a decision based on an emotional decision, and oh boy, did it get you in trouble? So we have to realize that our compassion the compassion for Christ that he had for people, the love that he had for people was based on his choice to love us regardless of who we were. He didn't wait for you and I to get it all together before he died for you and I. And that's why we must start with God if we're going to understand missions and his love. And so I want to look at a couple verses this morning that have to deal with the compassion of God. And hopefully this will give us a foundation to change our view about missions and why we do missions and why we care for people that we don't even know or we may never see uh, uh, until heaven. And so I want to look at this first verse in John 3, 16, 21. And then I want to use this to, to kind of use as a springboard to spring us into a situation, an encounter that Jesus had with a woman and how we can see this verse implemented in the life of Christ and how he reached a woman that had, had really had no reason to be reached, should have been an outcast, but through the love and compassion of Christ reached her with the wonderful message of God's forgiving love. So let's look at John three sixteen through 21. We know this verse well, uh, but let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, these are some very, some of the most powerful words in all the Gospels. We know John 3, 16. We've all memorized it. We know what it means. But I want you to understand that John 3, 16 cannot stand alone without the other verses. The next verses after John 3, 16 until verse 21 brings to light what God had really done for man. Man loved evil, yet God still comes into the world. Man loved the darkness, yet Jesus still came into the world to die for that darkness, to expose what was really in men's hearts. These are some very powerful words. So the question is, we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing at showing and living the love and compassion of God in this world? And I want you to understand something in these verses. That God's love cost him something. It did not come without a sacrifice, without a payment. This verse, these verses revealed the mercy of God towards sinners. Missions is all about God's mercy and grace being bestowed upon people who don't deserve it. It's about gripping our hearts to the point that we reach out to people who may not deserve it and it's telling them the truth of jesus christ so that god can change their hearts if my act of mercy and grace upon someone is only based on how they treat me we will never do a thing for people will we and so god has to so grip our hearts that we get beyond this notion that i have to be led that there has to be this ooey gooey romantic feeling that has to happen in my heart in order for me to be led by God's Spirit. And I want you to see there's a very important passage here in John 8 that that Jesus shows his mercy and grace towards someone who definitely did not deserve God's grace and mercy. But the compassion of Christ so led him that he reached out to this woman and literally changed her life. So let me read this for you. It's in John 8. It's a story about the woman caught in adultery. And and this is not normally a missions message verse that people will read, but I think it is. I think these passages show the mission of God and the heart of God and where the basis of our love and compassion for people have to start. And so let me read the words for you. In John 8, 2 through 11, it says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And I, I want to give you the context. This was during the Feast of tabernacles where people would come to Jerusalem and worship God and remember what God did in the wilderness. Very important festival. And I'm going to explain a little bit about what happened here and why the context of of Jesus reaching out to this woman and this being in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, why these two things correlate together and why they're so important. I'll I'll, I'll touch on that in just a moment. Verse 3, the scribes And the Pharisees, as Jesus is at the temple, there's a lot of people here. They know that they're here. And the scribes and the Pharisees did not like Jesus because he exposed their true hearts and their true motives, that they were religious on the outside, but their hearts were evil on the inside. So they're trying to trap Jesus. And so what they did was the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. There's no question about it. She was caught in the act. They're going to they're gonna place Jesus at, at his midst and they're going to they're gonna try to trap Jesus and see what kind of decision he's going to make with this woman. Verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman, notice how they call him teacher. They give him some respect. Okay, teacher, they don't really, they, they just want to trap Jesus. They, uh, they want to make a mockery out of Jesus, but they call him teacher and they want him to make this judgment, this decision based on what this woman had done. Now they know what needs to happen according to the law of Moses. They know what needs to happen to this woman, so they're, they're waiting to see Jesus' decision because they want to trap him and embarrass him and, and make a mockery out of Christ. This is a teacher, this one has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commands us to stone such a woman, what do you say? So they're trying to see if Jesus is going to go against the law of Moses so they can say that he's a heretic. Verse 6, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him, to mock him, to say that he really is not a teacher. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And it and at once, one more time, he bent down and wrote in the ground. He was writing with his finger in, in the sand. But when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older one. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before her. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, at first glance, we may think, Well, Jesus kind of letting this woman off the hook. Okay, she... She was caught in a sinful act. You know, she should be judged for this. But I want you to remember that Jesus never ex- excused her sin. He pardoned her of her sin. He never said that she wasn't guilty of her sin. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing these scribes and these Pharisees that he is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. The law of Moses said the woman should be stoned. And I want you to understand something here. Jesus did completely fulfill the law of Moses by allowing himself to be the perfect sacrifice. Out of all 16, uh, hundred or 613 laws that they were supposed to follow, if you broke one of them, you broke them all. That's why they could never keep the law perfectly. They, every person failed miserably. And this pointed to a more perfect savior, a more perfect sacrifice, a perfect savior, a perfect sacrifice who would be in Christ Jesus. So Jesus would eventually die for her adultery days later. He would take the death penalty for her on the cross. And so we have to realize that it's more than just a set of rules made by God to simply test our obedience. It reflects God's character. So we understand that adultery is, is wrong because it violates the trust relationship between a husband and wife. And ultimately, God is characterized by that faithfulness when he says that I will never leave you or forsake you. It's covenantal language. So Jesus is not making a mockery out of what she did or trying to whitewash what she did. These self-righteous men were driven by the law and not by the woman's soul, the very law that they couldn't keep themselves. So what Jesus is doing here, he's bringing it down to a heart issue, not a necessarily just say, okay, you broke the law and now we're going to stone her. Jesus peeks into the heart of man here. So it's a relationship issue. Jesus demanded exclusivity in his relationship with us. It's more than just the act. It's a breach of, of trust and commitment. So what Jesus is doing here, I want you to see something, because this plays out just amazingly. Jesus is saying, listen, she did something that was wrong, but her heart, her soul needs saving. Her heart needs a change. And so I'm going to die for that sin of adultery, but I'm going to offer her grace to overcome her sin. Now, these very men who are bringing this woman to them think that they have a relationship with God, but they also are committing adultery in their heart. Are you tracking with me this morning? Nobody is. Okay, so listen. Look at the two hearts. They come in. They're set, they're set by the law. Look at we're doing the law, and we're bringing this woman. But Jesus writes down in the sand, and I'm going to tell you what he was doing when he was doing that. Jesus peered into these men's heart, and they also were committing adultery because their hearts were not right before God. They also spiritually were cheating on God. And this is what Jesus reveals in their heart also. You see, by the law, they may have looked good on the outside. But Jesus understood it was a heart issue. And that's why Jesus said that even if you lust after a woman, you have committed the act of adultery in your heart. And so by the law, they may have looked good, but their hearts were wicked. That is why Jesus said of the religious at the time, you, you look like tombs or graves. You're, you're whitewashed on the outside. It looks good. It looks clean. Yet on the inside, it's filled with dead man's bones, which were unclean. And so Jesus is dealing with two sets of people. And it's imperative how he handles this situation. I want you to notice how Jesus deals with these two sets of people. You've got the woman who equals a sinner, caught in the act. There's no debating over that. And then you've got the scribes and the Pharisees who were so-called religious, but they were self-righteous. And they were just as sinful as this woman. One is totally humiliated, a pawn to be used and thrown away. And one to be used to trick Jesus and humiliate him. So the self-righteous with the law at their back, loyalty to Moses, who are going to show up Jesus. 
They're going to they're gonna make a spectacle of Jesus. My first question is, where is the man? It's funny that they didn't bring the man. They just bring the woman. You know, come on, it takes two to tango, right? So where's the guy? Okay, he's guilty too. But I want you to notice how Jesus deals with this situation. What Jesus does next is incredible. He doesn't get into a debate. He doesn't say, well, okay, are you sure? And let's get some more testimony here. He doesn't say a thing. He begins to write in the sand. He, they're talking to him. And they say, what are you going to do, Jesus? And he, he bends down and he begins to write in the sand. And, and, and you know, th- this is perplexing. Why did he, what was he doing? Why does he bend down and begin to write in the sand? And we don't know for sure what he wrote, but, but whatever he did, it was powerful because it got the attention of the accusers to the point that one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. Now, let me give you a couple theories that scholars have come up with that I think are very interesting, and I think this is pretty spot on what happened here. There is a passage in Jeremiah 17, 13 that reads this, and and I think this just plays in this whole scenario so well. Jeremiah 17, 13 says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, you've got to you track with me here because this is why I believe this, this is what Jesus did and when he wrote in the sand. The Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, the scribes, And the Pharisees would know this passage very well. The very judgment that these men were to place on this woman is the very judgment that God will place on these men for rejecting Jesus, the living water. Now follow me here. Jesus is the one who offered them living water, yet they rejected him. The woman... The woman who is caught in adultery, standing before Christ, calls him Lord and is humble before him. Jesus peers into her heart and realizes that her heart is softened, it's, it's humbled, and it's humbled before God. And he realizes that there's repentance before this woman. So he, he sees into her heart and she sees someone that needs changing, someone that needs a savior. And so obviously God shows compassion on her because he sees her heart of humility that she wants to change. Just the opposite with these pharisaical men whose hearts are hardened, who've got the law behind them, and we're going to tell you how you're supposed to do this, Jesus. But yet they've rejected the very one that God sent to them. So Jesus is the one who offers them living water, yet they've rejected him. Now, here's the, why do I believe this is true? Well, here's the interesting thing. As I said before, the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman caught in adultery is placed right after the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, follow me here, because this gets interesting. I want you to catch the significance. The Feast of Tabernacles, as I said earlier, is where Israel would gather in Jerusalem for a week to remember what God did for them in the desert. They would actually live in these little booths or tents with no roofs on them so they could look at the stars and be remembered how God led them for 40 years through the wilderness. And they would reenact many things that happened in their wilderness experience. And one of the things that they would reenact is how God poured water out of a rock for Israel to drink from in this arid desert place. And each day during a time, they, they would go to a pool and the priests would get bowls of water and they would walk up to the steps of the temple and pour water out on the temple steps to symbolize God pouring water out of a rock. And this was very symbolic, very celebratory, and people would get all excited. Now, many scholars believe this. On the last day of the festival, they would not pour out any water, symbolizing that God had led them into the promised land. It was at this point that Jesus stands up very important part of this ceremony and everybody watching the priest doing this and no water being poured out, it was at this moment that Jesus stood up and said, anyone who comes to me, 
I will allow springs of living water to flow forth from your life. I think that's very interesting. So here you have in the last day of the feast, no water's poured out, signifying that God brought them into the promised land. It was fulfilled. And this is where Jesus stands up in John 7, 37. He tells us, it says, if any one of you is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams or torrents or rivers of living water will flow within him. Perfect parallel to what Jeremiah said. These very men who bring this woman to him should be seeking Christ themselves, but yet they reject the very one that God brought to them, this living water. And so as Jesus wrote in the sand, I believe that maybe he wrote Jeremiah 7, 17, 13 in the dust. And I believe maybe that Jesus wrote their names. And maybe Jesus wrote the commandments that they broke. So the eldest one may have been justice, right? And so Jesus bends down and writes justice's name in the sand. He may not even knew the man, but maybe he knew his name. Justice, you watched that woman commit adultery. You got there early and you watched her. You just committed adultery in your heart. Maybe he's writing down all their sins and they're looking down going, how is Jesus knowing the things that I've committed? Now they're embarrassed. It's like, okay, do they stand around? Okay, now you who are without, I just point out your sins. So Jesus bends down again. Do you want me to continue? Want me to keep going? Because I'll write down some more sins if you want me. Do you want me to continue here or what? what what's going to happen here? One by one, stones start to drop. Okay, you without any sin, you cast the first stone. Who is the only person in that midst who can cast a stone? Jesus. And guess who is the only person in that midst that doesn't cast the stone? Jesus. He is the one that shows grace and mercy upon this woman who needed grace and mercy. And the very ones who should have also been bowing their knees to the living water refused to do, though, which reflected the hardness of their hearts. They walked away. The very living water that God prophesied in his, in his scriptures for thousands of years said, here is my son, here is the living water, here is the Messiah. He's right before you and you refuse to bow before him because your sins are so great. You are so trapped in your religion, you're so trapped in the law that it's hardened your hearts to be compassionate for people and to show grace. And so you've got two people that are left here. You've got Jesus and the woman, and Augustine, an early church father, says this. You've got two that were left, a wretched woman and mercy. So what can we learn from this? Augustine noted this, and I like what he says here. He says, we are in danger from, from both hope and despair. That is, we can have a false optimism that says, God is merciful, so I can do as I please, or a despair that says, there is no forgiveness for the sin that I have committed. And so what we have to do as God grips our heart for, for a mission's heart, we've got to find the balance between God's grace and his truth. We have to understand that both sides here were wrong. The woman did sin, and these men also sinned because their hearts were hardened to Christ. Both sides needed God's grace. Randy Elkhorn says this, author, he says, truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism. Grace without truth degenerates into deceitful tolerance where we just say, well, we just tolerate everything. Jesus never tolerated her sin of adultery. Jesus didn't fall into either trap with this woman. He exposed it through both grace and truth. And this, listen, this is what our world needs today. If we're gonna have a heart for missions and a heart for our world, this is what our world needs today. It's easy for me to point out all the problems and the issues and, 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 and jump on this judgmental size of the law and say, look how evil our world today. Look how messed up our, our world today and get very pharisaical and be able to hammer the pulp and say, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And then it's, and then it's easy for us to jump all the way over the side of grace over here and we begin to tolerate everything. 
and, and get very lackadaisical in our doctrines and, and what we believe and, and kind of water down the truth because we don't want to offend anyone with the gospel message. Well, let me tell you, the gospel message is offensive because it's offensive to our sins. But notice how Jesus dealt with this woman. He said, now go sin no more. But she experienced the compassion and the grace of God that allowed her to change. Where these men were so steeped in the law and the legalism, they were blinded to their own hearts. And God forbid we'd be blinded to our own hearts. And so God loved us in spite of ourselves while we were still enemies with God. Jesus died for the most gruesome, ugly sins that no one even talks about. And that's love. I mean, we have that kind of compassion for the world. And so th this, is, this is our opportunity not to become more separate as America drifts away from God, but see as an opportunity to stand for the truth and love. And that's exactly what this woman needed. That's exactly what this world needs. We've got to know what we believe and what we stand for. But unless God breaks our heart with the things that break his heart, we're either going to stand in judgment and not really care about the world, or we're going to, or we're going to stand in this sloppy grace that just allows everything. And, oh, we're just going to love people. We're not going to tell them the truth because we don't want to offend people where they're at. And we've got to be careful here because God said in John 3, 16 in the following verses that he is the only one, that it's only through Christ that we can find forgiveness and we can find hope for our lost souls. So my prayer for you today is that some of you would kind of drop your stones, that you would drop your rocks, that, that we're slinging at the world. It's so easy to do, isn't it? And we need to start praying. We need to start praying. It's so easy for my heart to get angry with what's going on in the world. Thank God Jesus wasn't motivated by that. Completely motivated by his grace and compassion, which he made a choice to come and die a gruesome death for you and I. He didn't allow your actions. How many times have I cussed God to his face? All the evil thoughts that went through my mind, yet Jesus loved me so much that he was still willing to give his life for me. So here's what, I, here's what we need to do. We need to get beyond the exterior of people and realize there's a heart that needs to be changed. And I am so judgmental at times. I'll be honest with you. Am I the only one that's judgmental at times? Anybody else with me there? Can we just talk, okay? I did it yesterday. I did it yesterday. And, and I, I went home and I was praying for the message today and God just kept bringing up this incident that happened with me yesterday at my son's basketball game. And I'm like, but that person was wrong. That person was wrong. That person was acting like a complete idiot. They were wrong. And I, there was someone sitting next to me. There was another parent. And they were kind of really rough on their kid. I mean, it was like, God, I would hate to. So I kind of looked at that parent. I said, man, I'd hate to be that kid. And I kept looking at the woman. They kept talking. I'm like, really? That's the way you're talking? Really? Really? And I got real judgmental. I was a Pharisee sitting in the stands at a basketball game. I had st if I had stone, if I had a rock in my hand, I probably threw it at her. I would have. I was looking for a basketball or something, just, you know. And as I was praying this morning and last night, God just broke my heart and said, Barton, there's a soul that I died for. There's the exterior. Yeah, they might vicariously be living through their kids and want them to be, you know, the next greatest basketball star in the world, which they won't be, but they want to be the next great. And that's how they live their lives. But Barton, you've got to look beyond that because that's a heart and that's a soul that I died for and how dare you judge that and judge their motives. You've got no idea what's going on in that person's life. How dare you? I'm like, thanks, Lord, for making me feel convicted. <laughs> hate when he does that. Do you hear what I'm saying? That doesn't mean we don't stand up for righteousness or what is right, but may God guard our hearts from that judgmental attitude that seems so easily creep in.
And so for you and myself, as we enter into these, this mission, the next couple weeks for missions, listen, I want you to begin to pray for people that you don't even know. I want you to pray for that person that irritates you at work. I want you to pray for that family member that you dread every time you've got a family gathering and you've got to see them. And you're like, oh, my, ah, 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 And you avoid them like the plague, all right? I want you to start praying for them and let God break your heart. I want you to start praying for countries that you've never been to, for China and India and Iran and Iraq. I know there's a lot of tension, a lot of feeling. North Korea. I know for some of you to say, man, those kind of, those are, yes. But Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them too, right? And we've got to pray that laborers go out into those fields and reach them with the wonderful love and compassion of Jesus Christ. It's a choice that we make because of what Christ did for us. We have to be this way if we're going to be followers, followers of Jesus Christ. So I want God just to break your heart and just say, God, just give me a new heart for the world. And as I pray, you begin to look beyond your own needs and your own selfishness and you begin to see beyond your needs and what you desire and what God really sees in the world. And then God begins to prepare your heart and give you a new heart, a new love, and new compassion for people. Missions has to start there. Now, you are a missions-giving church. I love you for that. You always give to missionaries and, and help people go on missions trips and all the fundraising. You guys do a wonderful job. That's great, and I thank you for that. You're such a good missions-giving church, and I appreciate that. But may God break our heart, because it's really about people, isn't it? That's the bottom line. It's about people, and may God break our heart. So as we go around the table of the Lord today, as we remember what Christ did for us, I want you to remember as we come to the table of the Lord and just pray, God, li listen, let me, first, let me first express this. Let me first say this, that the communion is open to anyone here. You don't have to be a member of our church. You do have to be a member of, of God's family. So if, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior and he's Lord of your life and, and you're born again, by all means, you can take communion today. And if you've not done that, we'll pray in a minute. You can pray and just receive Christ today and come to him. And, and make him Lord over your life, and then you can take communion. By all means, do that. But let me say this as we're taking communion, as we're praying together today. Just as before you take communion, do this for me. The Apostle Paul says that we're to examine our hearts before we do this. This is how important this is because you're recognizing Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This was my body that was given for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. I actually gave my life for you. And whenever you do this, remember what I did for you. So as we do this, just pray. Say, God, what, what things are in my heart that are just not becoming of you? Am I holding a grudge against someone today? Is there animosity in my heart today? Is there some unconfessed sin in my heart today that I know is there that I need to make right for you? Make it right. Just... In your seats, you pray to the Lord and say, God, before I do this, I don't want to take communion as another religious thing that I do once a month, that living word. I really want it to be meaningful because you died for the most gruesome sins that no one ever talks about. You died a bloody death for me. You hung in a tree for me. And if I'm willing not to expose my sin to you or my shortcomings or my hardness of my heart, or if I'm not willing to expose my need for you because I have animosity towards someone else, and what you're really doing is you're making a mockery of what Christ did for you on the cross. He was willing to give his life for you when you weren't worthy of it. And if we're not willing to forgive someone when they're not worthy of it, something's arise, something's a disconnect with our relationship with Christ, right? So let God grab your heart today and just begin to break it, begin to mold it, begin to see with his eyes. And I, I can't, you know, there's a couple people I want to meet in heaven. Can't wait to meet that woman who was caught in adultery. What happened after that? Where did you do? Where'd you go? Well, who did you tell? What, what went out? What, what, how did you feel? What was going on? I mean, it must have been just incredible because she thought maybe she was going to die and now she's free. The Savior set her free because of his love and grace. John 3.16 was lived out 
in John chapter 8. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This woman went from death to life in a matter of minutes. That's pretty cool. So let me pray for you today. Some of you here today, you need to go from death to life and it can happen in just seconds when you pray to the Lord to ask him to forgive you. So I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare themselves and I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to show just a short video just to begin to prepare our hearts on what communion is. And then the ushers will serve you and uh, they will, uh, uh, we will take communion together after everyone is served. We'll sing a song together and then we'll take communion at the end. So may the Lord bless you. So let's pray. Lord, just prepare our hearts now. God, whatever is in our hearts, Lord, I pray you'd break it, that we would confess those things that need to be confessed, that you would give us a new heart for the world, a new compassion for people. And we thank you, Jesus, that your love for me and your compassion for me was not based upon your feelings or whether or not I could do this, that, or the other, or if I got my life straightened out. It was a choice that you made that while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. What love is that? We can't even understand that. But God, let us, let us just comprehend your grace this morning so that we can live out that grace in our daily lives as we, as we interact with people that don't deserve it, God. So help us today. Give us your grace and your mercy and let us experience it by the way we treat other people and by the way we live it out in our lives. Thank you for what communion means. This is symbolic of your death. The bread symbolizes your body that was given for us, the cup, your blood that was shed for us. And we understand that the scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sins. So we recognize that you and you alone are the only one who can cover and completely heal us and forgive us of all our transgressions, all our sins. And for that, we're thankful today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and look up at the screens and then we'll serve you today. God bless you.
so hard for us to live out in our lives but thank God for the example we have in Christ that we so undeservingly deserve his love yet he still loves us and he still gave his life for us and so as we take communion let's just humble our hearts before him and just thank him and just have him break our hearts today Lord we thank you for what you've done for us as we hold this this emblem of this bread in our hands we know that with your disciples on that last meal, that Passover meal, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body, which is just given for you. You are that bread of life. There's no other place we can turn to find satisfaction for our souls. When we come to you, you completely satisfy us. And so, Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands today, we recognize what you did for us. We thank you for your body that was given for us, that you didn't hold anything back. You're a gracious God today. We thank you for that. So as we partake in this bread, we ask your blessings upon it now. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And Lord, as we hold this cup in our hands, we thank you for your shed blood today that can cover us from all our sins, our shortcomings. God, everything we've done that has been against you, all the atrocities, we thank you your blood is enough. There is power, that wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, I thank you that, God, you heal us and you change us. And, Lord, that you do so many things beyond what we even know or can comprehend. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just 
God, cleanse us anew and afresh today as we partake in this cup. And so we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death today. And as we partake of it together as a church, I pray you bind us together, Lord, as a church, as a body, that, Lord, we would see that you are a mighty God, mighty to save. And so we thank you for this time. Bind us together, Lord, as a church, that we can walk in your love. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. I want you guys to stay. I, uh, I want to share something with you. Uh, and uh, I, I'm going to just keep it for about five, ten minutes. But I want to share something with you. And it's just some changes that are going to happen in our church. Uh, how many of you like change? Four of you. Okay, good. Um, well, let me just say, we've been praying as a church, probably as leadership, for probably the last two years. And uh, we, as a pastor, you know, I've, I've been here 13 years last month. And, and as a pastor, you, you want your church to continue to grow and to be more effective in the way we do things. And, and I've realized as a pastor, there are definitely strengths that I have and there's definitely weaknesses that I have. And how many you know that in your weakness, you've got to find people that can, can take the weaknesses that you have and the giftings that they have and complement your ministry? Does that make sense? And as a pastor, there, there are ways that, that I can only take the, the, the church so far. And then you've got to have someone come alongside that's going to say, hey, here are some of your weaknesses. I'm going to stand by you. First of all, I'm not going anywhere, so don't think that. But uh, I'm, you're stuck with me, okay? <laughs> so you're like, wait, are you going somewhere, Pastor? I'm not going anywhere. But we've got a great youth pastor in Mike Becker. And, uh, and Pastor Mike's getting older, as you can tell. He's got a kid now. And uh, Pastor Mike is a great compliment to me. And, and, and there is that I'm weak. He's very good. Uh, I love Mike and Carrie to death. They've been a great asset to our church and direct ministry to my kids. And some of you as parents, you can concur to that, that he's been just a wonderful blessing to your kids, even with all the crazy stunts that he pulls, but God bless him, we still love him, right? <laughs> and we've been praying about how we can better equip our church to move to the next level. And a couple years ago, I, I, I went up to Mike and I said, Mike, what, what's, what's God doing in your heart? What, what's going on? And let me tell you what I'm feeling in my heart of how to position our church so that we can move to the next level and be more productive and better equipped to, to serve our church and, and to minister to our church and, and, and do the things that God needs to do to propel us to, to the next level to be more effective in ministry. And so I began to share with him my heart, and his face lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, he, he really, he, I, he sensed that God was doing that in his heart too. And so what we've been doing for the last about a year, year and a half, we've been positioning our church to make these changes. And, and what we've uh, decided to do and what we're doing at this point is Pastor Mike is going to move up into an executive associate role uh, in our church, which, which takes on more responsibility. If you've kind of noticed, he's been already doing that already, but he's been taking on more responsibility as an associate to deal with all our... Uh, uh, leadership, all our volunteers, and he does an excellent job with all that. And I see the gift over the eight years that Mike's been with us, I see the giftings that he has, and I, I want the Lord to use him and where he is most gifted. And I believe those are the areas that he is most gifted, and he feels that too. So we're going to move Mike up into an associate position, which means he is no longer going to be the youth pastor. And so what we've done is we've hired a new youth pastor and children's pastor. So we have a new children's pastor. He's going to come at the end of this month. His name's Jim R. Priester. He's, uh, he's engaged to be married in April. Very, very sharp. We spent a lot of time really praying and seeking out the right person. I believe that he is going to be a perfect fit for our church, and he will be coming at the, at the end of the month. We've already, Pastor Mike's already talked with his, 
his youth workers. We've talked to some key leaders that would be directly affected with, with Jim's ministry. And so that's the next step that we're going to take. So thank God we're not losing Mike. He'll still be here, but he's in a new position. So um, please be in prayer for our church, because this is a big step for us. Um, Jim will be full-time. He's a credentialed minister, and we believe he's going to do a fantastic job with us. He comes from Niagara Falls, and we believe he's going to do a great job. But also pray for me and and especially for Pastor Mike as he takes on a really different responsibility and a heavy load of, of what he'll be doing and, and uh, working with all our discipleship and how we can be more effective as a church. Mike just has a lot of fresh ideas and he's going to complement um, areas in my ministry that I feel is going to be very helpful for our church to really move to the next level. And me as a pastor, I can really concentrate on the vision of the church and preaching and pastoral care and those things that that I feel I really am, uh, am gifted in, that I need to really be effective at. And with the church of 500 people and just full two pastoral staff people, it's been really difficult. And I believe with this next step, it's going to really help us to, to meet the needs that are before us and to really propel our church to the, to the next level. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike, and I think Carrie's here too, to come down at this time. And uh, they're there. I want to pray for them. We're blessed to have Mike and Carrie at our church, and uh, I want to pray for them. And a little Cohen, he's not feeling good today, but amen. And I want to ask God just to touch their lives and uh, and just pray. You know, uh, God is doing a good work at our church, and and He's faithful, and and we want to be most effective to reach our community and our world for Jesus Christ. So you need to obviously pray for us. And pray for the staff that God gives us the giftings and the ability to do that. So we appreciate all your support. And I know speaking for Mike, I mean, it's overwhelming your support for him and Carrie. And I know he appreciates that greatly. But I wanted just to, to pray for him and ask God just to, to use him mightily in this next step that he takes as he takes on uh, more uh, responsibility within our church. And just that God will bless him and use him and Carrie. Amen. So will you join me in prayer as we do that? Amen. Thank you, Lord. God, I want to thank you for, for Mike and Carrie. Lord, I thank you for bringing them to our church. Lord, we, we believe that this is ordained by you. We believe these steps are, are, are ordained by you. And we pray for Mike and Carrie. We pray, God, that you would just give him wisdom beyond his years as he serves in this new capacity of our church, as he takes on more responsibility of discipleship and, and leading our leaders and volunteers and organizing all those things that, that need to help us to, to, to be a church that's more effective for reaching lost people. And I just pray that you would use Mike in a great and mighty way. So I thank you for their lives. I pray blessing upon their marriage, Lord, and for little Cohen, Lord. I just thank you for them. And I know this is a hard transition for parents and, and many of the youth workers, Lord. Uh, but God, I pray that we would just be on board and God, we would just allow you to, to move us into this change. I know change is always hard, but, but Lord, with change, we understand uh, comes growth, and that's what we're desiring, that we would grow individually and grow deeper in our relationship with you. So I thank you for my care, and I just pray that you would just uh, bless their lives, God, and I just lay them at your feet now. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. And everyone said? I'm going to have Pastor Mike just share a couple words. Amen. Amen. My son is angry, so he had to leave. If you, were, if you had your eyes closed during the prayer, you didn't see him having a, a panic attack of what was ever was happening up here. But um, yeah, so um, I know that for some of you, this is obviously shocking and all that stuff. And it was shocking to me when it started, started to come to real fruition, having a conversation in someone's office about the possibility of changing roles and then actually changing roles are two entirely different situations. So um, I'm really excited, but I'm also very sad. Um, I still feel very close and deeply um, rooted in the youth of our church. I still don't really feel disconnected from them at all. There's not a sense of like, you know, I've been longing for this day. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a bittersweet situation. And so um, obviously all the changes that come along with that, I'm, you know, it's going to be a process and, you know, it's, it's, we'll be helping the new guy that comes in to uh, kind of implement into what we've been doing. We've already been having conversations upon conversations. And so um, he's, you know, 
ready to kind of take that role on. But um, just so that you guys understand, um, there is going to be on the 23rd of um, this month, um, J uh, Jim and Allison are going to be here. It's a Wednesday night, and it's going to be kind of a meet and greet for students and parents. So anybody who wishes to come and meet him um, and his wife, they'll be here. We'll do um, some some question answer type thing, and you just have an idea, an opportunity to hear from his heart where he's come from. He's a sharp dude. Um, he is just the the level of um, just m ministry mindset that he has is so equal to what we've thought of and where we're at with ministry and the way he, he's been brought up and, and the way that he sees ministry is so great and equals what we're, what, how we see things. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a really good thing happening in this because after a while you need someone to come in with fresh vision and fresh ideas and um, a, a new refreshed longing to see um, students and young people saved uh, through the gospel message. And so obviously this is um, sad for, for part of my heart, but also exciting because I get to see what's going to happen when God does something brand new. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just thank you for your support throughout all the years and all the um, things that um, you guys have helped us with. Um, hopefully that will continue when Jim gets here and we'll um, fit into our church family. So I love you guys. And um, I am really glad that when God decided to do something different in my life, it was still here because um, I probably would have left kicking and screaming if that was the case. Actually, I would have disobeyed. I would have said no. And he'd, and he'd have to deal with it when I get up there. But um, so, uh, no, but I, I truly love this church. It means um, more, than, more to me than I could ever even articulate. Um, just the level of growth that I've had here, the level of support I've had here from not only um, Pastor Barden and deacons and board members, but just parents and you guys. Um, you guys are like uh, my little cheerleading squad that um, I love to have rally around me when I need you. And also just when there's excitement, um, you're there too. So I appreciate you guys a great deal. Sorry to keep you guys a little bit longer. Um, you Sunday school teachers, I know you're longing to get your people in your class, but I appreciate you guys a great deal. So I thank you for your support in this too. Amen. 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 And I know what a, what a loving church this is, and I know how much you will welcome Jim and Allison when they come into our church, and I know you guys will just welcome them, make them feel at home just like you did for myself and, and, and for Mike. So let's stand and uh, just thank God as I just let you go. Amen. Lord, thank you for just what you're doing in our midst, God, and Lord, I thank you for this church. And I, I, this scripture just came to my mind. He that began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to complete the work that you started in this church many, many, many years ago. And we want to continue the good work of Jesus Christ in the town of Ontario. So just go with us now, God. And by your grace, we thank you, Lord. And just, uh, Lord, let us continue to pray for this change, God. And, and uh, Lord, just allow you to receive the glory for everything you're doing in our midst. We give you praise. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise today. Amen. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.